check test. You may have to punch up the main. It may be down a little bit. Anyway, you know what to do. Uh, he does. He knows what to do. That, that wasn't a slight. Um, good to see you today. I hope you're doing well. Hey, Tyler. Good to see you, brother. Sure good to be in the house of the Lord with you all today. Uh, if you're visiting with us, uh, welcome. If you've never had a chance to uh, fill out a, a visitor card, um, there's probably not a blue one anywhere around you. Um, if there is, you're more than welcome to, if the kid's written on it, erase it or turn around and write on the back um, the information. Uh, or you could, uh, if you're so inclined and are able to do so, you can scan that QR code. We just want to know you're here, give you an opportunity to check in with us. But we are sure glad uh, that you have come to be with us today. Just a few announcements tonight at um, 630. Uh, we will have our monthly business meeting. I want to remind you that it is your right, your privilege, and your responsibility to attend these meetings. So we ask that you make every effort to attend uh, just to kind of whet your appetite and hopefully your desire to come to business meeting tonight. You'll notice there that right below that announcement, it, there's a little box that uh, it may be a little bit hard to read, but it says intergenerational relationships are God's design for passing on the faith. And then it says, sign up to be a prayer champion. Uh, this is something that some of our youth are going to talk to the church about tonight as, as an item of business. Um, and so I pray that you'll be uh, in attendance for that and uh, be prepared to hopefully be a prayer champion. Um, also, I need to make you aware that, um, you know, this is a fifth Sunday month. However, uh, because of my absence on the 31st, we are not going to have our regular fifth Sunday activities on the 31st. Instead, we're going to move those to July 24th. And so um, we'll have the Lord's Supper that morning, and we'll have a meal in the fellowship hall. And tentatively, and I, I hope that this is all going to work out, um, we're hoping to have, you remember last Sunday we had four young people come down front and uh, Professed to the church they had given their lives to the Lord, that they had received salvation. And so we are hoping on July 24th, you know, in the morning we'll have the Lord's Supper, uh, then we'll have a meal, and then after the meal uh, to have a baptism service. So I want to make sure that you're aware of that. Um, I know you might have an inclination to go home and, and uh, take a nap on that day, but stick around. It'll be well worth your while. Are there any other announcements that we need to make at this time? Okay. Well, if you would please uh, stand, and I want to lead us in our call to worship this morning. Our call to worship this morning comes from 1 Peter 1, verses 17 through 19. Um, and um, you'll notice that as we sing, there's going to be a theme here. Uh, the theme is the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So this morning's uh, call to worship um, it, it, it carries on that theme, or it starts us off, I should say, with that theme. I'll read the first slide, then if you will join with me and read the second slide. If you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth altogether, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life, inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood, as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Let's worship together.
Good morning. Good morning, children. Like, oh, he's talking to me. How many of y'all went to VBS here at Cherokee Baptist Church? Griffin, you can raise your hand. So everyone went to VBS. I'm going to teach something that I taught y'all in VBS, but it's just a good reminder. You know what a reminder is, Jackson? What is it? It helps you remember something you already knew or saw or learned. So we're going to have a reminder. What is Ella holding? Um, mirror. So my beautiful assistant forgot the mirror she was supposed to bring for me. Thankfully, God provided one out on the wall in the foyer. Um, so that's a mirror. Do y'all remember what I taught about the mirror? Y'all might not even know it was me. There was a crazy guy with an Australian hat one day in VBS over in the youth building for wreck, and we talked about a mirror. So in the Bible, it says we are made in God's, who knows the rest of that? Image. Made in God's image. I'm going to read that real quick. If I can find it. God says in Genesis 1, 26, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So we are made in God's image. An image is kind of like a picture, but in the Bible, the word image is also used for like a statue of someone. And something that let's say kings would do is they couldn't be everywhere at once so they would put a statue of themselves all over their kingdom so their image would be there so people would be reminded who is king a statue an image out in the hallway we have an image on the wall it's a painting of someone so that's an image so can you hold it up a little? Lily, help her out. That's a big man. She's got it. Who do you see right there, Jackson? Who do you see in that mirror? Myself. Myself? So you see yourself. You don't see Ella, do you? Ella, turn in a little bit. Keep turning that way. Keep turning. Not. Do you see anybody there? Do you see someone, Macy? Um, do you see yourself? No. Do you see Ella in that mirror? Mm, no. No? Who do you see? Nobody. Nobody? Well, point it up a little bit. That way? Okay. You see someone now? I see Brady Johnson. <laughs> Can you see me, Brady? So, when God says we're made in his image, there's a couple of things that means. But one thing is we are made to reflect God. Ella's not reflecting herself. She is, when you look in that mirror and see someone else, she's pointing you or reflecting someone else. So we should be like a mirror in the sense of we should reflect God. When people see us, they should see who? God. God. So there's a story in the Bible about a guy named Moses, and he goes up on a mountain, and he tells God, I want to see you. And God says, well, you can't see all of me and live, but I'm going to show you a little bit, just the, the fringes of my glory. And, and Moses, in a sense, was in the presence of God. He was with God. And when he came down, his face was literally glowing in the dark. Actually, it was glowing in the daytime. Are y'all familiar? Have y'all heard that story? His face was shining and he had to cover it up. It was so bright. 
He was reflecting God. He had been with God, and you could literally see it on his face. And that's how we should be. Even those who aren't believers are made in the image of God, and we are created to reflect God and who he is. But in the Bible, it says we're not perfect, but there is a perfect image of God, and that is Jesus Christ. When we see Jesus, we should see a perfect image of God. He perfectly reflects God. And when we receive Jesus, then we've got Jesus inside of us, and we can even do a better job of reflecting God to other people. So, we're made in the image of God. We are to reflect God. You going to remember that? Yes. Yes. All right, a little reminder. Who Raise your hand if you remember learning that in VBS with a little bitty mirror over in the youth building. So see, we all needed a reminder. (laughs) (laughs) Made in the image of God, we're made to reflect God in his glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for these children. Um, Lord, we just praise you that we are all made in your image. Help us, Lord, to reflect you to others, Um, and Lord, especially those of us who know Christ, to reflect Christ to the world. We praise you most of all for Jesus and all that we have in him and through him. Amen.
morning just confessing that we are so hopelessly lost without you. God, this world teaches a false doctrine of just love, but it's not you, and so it doesn't satisfy. They dig wells, they dig broken wells, we dig broken wells, but don't hold water. And if it weren't for the blood of your son, we would be completely lost completely and totally and utterly depraved and lost. And we come to you this morning confessing to you that our only hope is what Jesus did on the cross. And we know that there is a fountain that filled with blood that flows from Emmanuel's veins. And we confess to you that we need that this morning, God. to soothe the sores, but to satisfy the soul. And God, we want to sing this to you because you alone deserve it. So as your people, we will stand together and we will declare this truth that there is a fountain filled with blood that flows from Emmanuel's veins. And there is no other hope for us than that alone. Let's stand together and sing this.
God's people say. Amen. I would ask you to please take your copy of God's Word. Excuse me. Turn to the book of First Timothy. Uh, we'll be in First Timothy four. We'll look at verses six through sixteen this morning. I don't think I mentioned in the announcements. Um, we did say I, I did let you know about uh, remind you about the four students that came down last week and, and gave their life to the Lord, and that uh, and, and hopefully on the twenty fourth we will have a baptism service. Uh, and celebrate what the Lord has done in their lives. Um, I failed to mention, and there are gonna, we're going to have some youth share tonight, right, at the business meeting? Okay. All right. Okay. All right. So, and that will be after the business meeting. So I hope you're able to come tonight. You will be blessed, I guarantee. If you would, please, <clears throat> stand, stand for the reading of God's Word. This is 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 16, and this is God's word. In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. But have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, for bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness, I'm sorry, for bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. For it is for this we labor and strive, because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Prescribe and teach these things. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift which was within you, which was bestowed on you through the prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Take, take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. For as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. We're thankful for this correspondence between Paul and Timothy. I'm grateful that, uh, Lord, he, you gave Paul the words that Timothy needed to speak, needed to hear uh, in this time when he was contending for this church in Ephesus. So, Father, as, as it feels like maybe sometimes we're reading someone else's mail, uh, bring this home to us. Help us to see how uh, this applies to us. Lord, we do thank you for a church that was purchased by Christ Jesus with his precious blood. Help us to live as those who have been redeemed. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Just by way of reminder, Paul has written to Timothy to instruct him to remain in Ephesus so that he can command some of the elders there. I'm not sure it's all of them, but some elders in the church are teaching strange doctrine. And Paul has told Timothy, you stay put. You remain there to instruct these men to stop teaching strange doctrine because that strange doctrine is devastating the church. And he's told Timothy, Timothy, contend for the faith. It's an apostolic faith. It's not something we dreamed up. It was given from Christ Jesus to the apostles. 
And because it's come through the apostles, it's authoritative. And, and it's all that we need. We don't need to take it and make up something else. In fact, what we've been given is aimed at its preservation. It doesn't want to keep up with the times. It's aimed at being preserved just exactly how it was delivered. And Timothy, contend well, knowing that these men that you're contending against, they're off on the beaten path, off the beaten path. They've gone off the reservation in terms of what they're teaching. But remember, I was like that before. I thought Christ wasn't the way. And remember what he did with me. Don't forget my testimony as you contend for the faith. Timothy, contend prayerfully. Pray situationally. Pray expansively. Pray purposefully, evangelistically, and effectively. Pray, pray, pray that the gospel may go forth. Timothy, contend for women. Contend for their spot in the church, that they don't come in distracting from worship with outward appearance that would detract from what we're here for. Produce a place in the church in order that allows for them to learn. And teach them orthodoxy. Teach them right doctrine. Paul says, Timothy, contend for leadership. Contend for elders who serve by leading. And contend for deacons who lead by serving. And contend for the household of God. Remember, teach them that there's a standard of conduct for the church. It's not something that we just made up. It's based on a standard of truth that was revealed to us in Christ Jesus. Last week we were reminded, Paul tells Timothy, contend against counterfeits. There are those in the church who have made a false profession of faith. And they're trying to lead others away from the true doctrine of Jesus Christ. Away from his finished work. So there's much for Timothy to do. The title of this morning's message is Instructions for Contending. How to be a good servant of Jesus Christ. I I get that second part in verse 6. He says, in pointing out these things to the brethren, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Now, we might notice that in the previous sections of 1 Timothy, it seems that Paul has addressed, has written to the church more directly, and, and Timothy sort of indirectly. All these instructions, it seemed like, in the previous sections were for the church. Timothy's not mentioned all that much. But in this section and in the sections to come, Timothy is mentioned or addressed directly. And the church somewhat by implication. And so Paul, in writing to Timothy, to instruct him on how to be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Paul has two major themes he tries to drive home. And the first one is this, be disciplined. Be disciplined. A good servant of Christ Jesus disciplines himself. Let me qualify that a little bit more. A good servant of Jesus Christ knows how to say yes to the right things. He disciplines himself to say yes to the right things. Paul points out one yes that Timothy ought to never... um, diverge from. He says, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the faith, the words of the faith, and the sound doctrine which you have been following. In other words, Timothy, you need to say yes to a steady diet of God's word, a steady diet of doctrine, like you have been already. So in order to say yes to the right thing, or in order for Timothy to be disciplined, He needs to, first of all, discipline himself with a steady diet of God's word and sound doctrine. In 2 Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy and he says, All scripture is inspired by God. And it is uh, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. He must devote himself to scripture. In the Old Testament, you remember David, the longest psalm, the longest chapter in the entire Bible, Psalm 119. David says, uh, your word to me, it's a lamp for my feet. It, it, it helps me to see where I'm supposed to put my feet in this journey of following the Lord. It, and it's a light to my path. It shines light ahead of me that I might see where I'm going. There's never a time when the servant of God should not be disciplined to a steady diet of 
God's word. But not only is he, he to say yes to this diet of God's word and doctrine, he's to say yes, I'm sorry, let me back up. Uh, he's to say yes to discipline. And in verse 7, Paul tells Timothy, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Now, if I were to say this word the way you might say it, the Greek word for discipline, you might say it this way, gymnazo. Gymnazo. Do, do you hear a word, something in there that sounds familiar? Gymnazo sounds a lot like gymnasium. So if you've ever been in a gym, you know it smells like sweaty socks. And, and, and if you're quiet long enough, you can hear whistles blow of your coach telling you, get up and down this floor a whole lot quicker, you know, and, and instructions being barked out. It has the idea of work, of discipline, of blood, of sweat, of tears. And Paul is talking here to Timothy about disciplining himself in a spiritual way. Paul himself was an example. He says in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, he says, But I discipline my body and make it my slave. I tell it what to do, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. I work, I sweat, I discipline myself. He tells others, the church in Philippi, he tells them, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but much more in my absence, listen to what he says, Work, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work it out. In James 1.22, James writes to this church and says, But prove yourselves doers of the word. And not merely hearers who delude themselves. It takes spiritual discipline to put into practice what you've learned. And Paul is saying, Timothy, put what you've learned into practice for the purpose of godliness. So a servant of Christ Jesus disciplines himself to say yes to the right things, but he also disciplines himself to say yes to the right things for the right reasons. Verse 9, sorry, not verse 9, verse 6. Paul says, Constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. Why would he need that? Why would any of us need that? Because saying yes to a steady diet of God's word and sound doctrine promotes discernment so that we might know what to say yes to and what to say no to. And Paul gives Timothy an example of that. He tells Timothy in verse 7, look again there with me, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. In other words, what he's saying is these strange doctrines that some of these elders are teaching have nothing to do with that. Now listen, I don't want you to miss this. It's not that Paul's telling Timothy, you should never look at unsound, strange doctrine and, and, and show where it's wrong. That's, it's not that Timothy should never take the time to expose the falsehood of other beliefs. There is a time to say yes to that task. But listen, Timothy has been sent to a church where the truths of the gospel, unfortunately, have not been firmly established. So taking the time to talk about the falsehood of these beliefs, it, it might be advisable if the gospel truths had been established, but because they're not, Paul's saying, don't waste any time with that other stuff. Get straight down to business. So Timothy is to say no to taking time away from teaching gospel truths in order to discuss these strange doctrines. He is, rather, to tell these elders, you stop teaching this stuff. And Timothy is to say yes to teaching the biblical truth of the gospel because in writing again, in verse 6, Paul points out, in pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Timothy, when you exercise discernment that comes from a steady diet of God's word and doctrine, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. And the truth of the matter is, Timothy can only shepherd the flock well 
from a steady diet of God's word and sound doctrine. Timothy needs to say yes to discipline, but for the right reason. Notice again in verse 7, Paul says, discipline yourself, but what does he say for? What's the purpose? For the purpose of godliness. Now, godliness is not um, just kind of a, an incidental subject in 1 Timothy. In fact, Paul refers to godliness ten times in the book. It's not a minor emphasis. So Paul, in verse 8, he uses a business example to help Timothy prioritize his discipline. He says, For bodily discipline is only of little profit. You hear that business term there. But godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So Paul says, Timothy, an investment in bodily discipline is profitable. However, the return on investment is small in comparison to an investment in godliness. Because it doesn't have a small profit. It yields profit not only for the present life, but also for the life to come. So Timothy, invest in both. But your greater investment, your greater yes, needs to go to disciplining yourself for godliness. Paul is so sure of this. He says in verse 9, it's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. In other words, Timothy, bank on it. Bank on it. Disciplining yourself for the sake of godliness has a proven track record. It's a trustworthy statement. Believe it. Bank on it. Timothy, be disciplined. Say yes to the right things for the right reasons. The second major thing that Paul is trying to get across to Timothy is to be driven. A good servant of Christ Jesus is driven. The reason I say driven is because in this text this morning, there are not one, not two, but 12 commands to Timothy. 12 imperatives. So obviously Paul wants Timothy to devote himself, to be driven, to be determined, to not let anything slide. So a good servant of Jesus Christ is driven to pursue godliness. Verse 10, Paul says, For it is for this godliness that we labor. Notice the term, labor. It's for this that we labor and strive. We reach out for it. But notice what he says at the end of verse 10. Because we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all men. The labor... And the striving and the discipline for godliness is driven by the hope that believers have in Jesus Christ, in the living God. And we're driven to invest in godliness because the return on investment is guaranteed. But then Timothy said, Paul says at the end of verse 10, Who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers? It's saying... The Savior of all men. Paul is most certainly not promoting universalism. That is to say that all people will be saved without exception. Because follow me on this. If everybody is saved, then why pursue godliness at all? Why put any effort into it at all? So obviously, that's not what Paul is saying. Neither is Paul saying that God is a potential Savior, not an actual Savior. Because notice what it says, that God is is the Savior of all men. Not that he wants to be. So Paul's not saying that everybody's going to be saved. He's not saying that God is a, a potential Savior. He's saying that God is the Savior of everyone who believes in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because receiving salvation requires a human response to Jesus Christ. So all who believe and who labor and strive and discipline their lives for godliness, fixing their hope firmly on the living God, they will be saved. We labor and we strive because we know that God is going to come through for us who believe. What Paul is talking about here is what's commonly called the perseverance of the saints. Now think about it this way. 
All true believers will persevere to the end. They will not uh, make shipwreck of their faith. They will not fall away. Not only that, but only true believers will persevere to the end. Everyone else will fall away. So we persevere through laboring and striving and disciplining your lives for godliness, fixing their hope on the living God. That's why this is so important for Paul to drive home to Timothy. You must pursue godliness. Because in your laboring and striving, you help push people to persevere. A good servant of Christ Jesus is driven to lead the church with biblical authority. Notice what Paul says in verse 11. He says, prescribe and teach these things. Prescribe and teach the things that lead to godliness. A prescribe or command is used six times in 1 Timothy, but it's understood in others. Teach, that's a major theme in Timothy. It's eight times in 1 Timothy, but it's understood in many other places. So Paul is saying, you lead the church with biblical authority by commanding and teaching these things. He's to lead the church with biblical authority in verse 12 by being an example of those who believe. Paul gives him some character traits, speech, conduct, love, faith, purity. And he's to show himself in each of these things an example of godliness. And that godliness validates biblical truth. And that Timothy's example of integrity, when he talks the talk and walks the walk, he's being like Paul, where Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He's to lead with biblical authority by giving attention to the ministry of the word. Verse 13, Paul tells him, make sure scripture's publicly read. That's because people didn't have a copy of God's Word like you and I have. So he wanted to make sure that the Word is front and center when the congregation's together. And use it to exhort people to godliness, to obedience, and teach its truths. Make the authority of God's Word a non-negotiable foundation stone for the church. Paul's saying, Timothy, prescribe and teach the Word. Live the Word, read the Word, exhort believers from the Word, teach the Word. And when you do this, go back to verse 12, that would outweigh anyone looking down on your youthfulness because you'll be setting an example. Finally, a good servant of Christ Jesus is driven to look after his life and ministry. To look after his life and ministry. Timothy is... is, instructed by Paul to minister from his God-given gifts. He tells him in verse 14, don't neglect this gift, this spiritual gift that was bestowed on you by the laying on of hands in the elders, the presbytery. Don't neglect it. Now, Timothy's God-given gift was most likely preaching and teaching. When it says bestowed, it didn't mean that at that point the elders actually gave Timothy the gift. It's more likely that the elders were recognizing an authentic, God-given, spiritual gift that Timothy possessed. And by laying hands on him, they recognized that he possessed it, and they set him apart for ministry of service to the church. Paul's saying, Timothy, God gave you this gift. Use it. The elders recognize that you have it. Use it. Verse 15, Timothy is to practice what he preaches and teaches. He says in verse 15, take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. Immerse yourself in the word and in its application so that your progress, Timothy, in the faith will be on full display. Timothy, look after your life and ministry. Verse 16, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. In other words, he's saying don't drift. Don't drift. You know how easy it is for people to drift in their their understanding of God's word, in their theology? We're seeing it right now in the Southern Baptist Convention. Timothy, don't drift. Persevere, he says in verse 16. Persevere in this discipline for the purpose of godliness. Persevere in this ministry of the word. He tells him why. 
Verse 16, For as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Now, I need to stop because you might be thinking, ensure salvation. You mean Timothy, by his obedience to these things, can ensure that his congregation is saved? It's not what it's saying. Paul's not saying you can guarantee salvation by proxy. That's, that's not what he's saying. What Paul is saying is this. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make the horse drink. Nevertheless, take the horse and point his snout to the spout where the gospel flows out and nowhere else. If they drink from this spout, they will be nourished unto salvation and not unto shipwreck. So Timothy persevere in this there are people in the church who are watching you and they are listening to you and as you lead them there'll be times they won't be ready to drink they won't there'll be times when they're not ready for what you have to say but constantly point their their attention to the living water so that when they drink you can say if you have truly drunk of the living water then you're saved So Timothy is to be disciplined and driven. Paul has given Timothy a number of instructions, and and he's not through yet. And like I said during my prayer, it can seem like we're reading someone else's email. Like what Paul has written here, not really for us, it's it's more for, for Timothy. Maybe someone who's a pastor. But let's not miss this. Paul is instructing Timothy for the sake of the church. He's telling Timothy, be disciplined for the purpose of godliness for the church. Be driven for the church. Prescribe and teach these things for the church. Show yourself an example for the church. Devote yourself to the ministry of the word for the church. Use your gift for the church. Pay close attention to your life and teaching for the church. And Timothy, persevere for the church. I want you to uh, just kind of follow with me for a moment. Imagine that you are a member of First Baptist Church Ephesus. And, And this letter that Paul has written to Timothy is read in your hearing. Okay, right. So Paul has, uh, th- whoever has, has read this portion of the letter, they read verses 6 through 16. And there's someone in the congregation that says, wait, 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 wait. Let me, let me pause and see, pause the reading, and let's see if I understand what you're saying. So is Paul saying that if Timothy is trying his best to carry out Paul's instructions for our sake, then we should listen to him and follow him? Is is Paul saying that God expects us to grow in godliness and that that will not happen apart from discipline and from constant nourishment on Scripture and sound doctrine? Am Am I hearing this right? And the congregation says, well, that, that's what we understand. The true test of whether or not that congregation really understands that if Timothy's trying his best to carry out Paul's instructions for their sake, then they should listen to him and follow him. If they really understand that God expects them to grow in godliness, and that's not going to happen apart from discipline and constant nourishment on Scripture and sound doctrine, The test will be what they do next. That will be the test. Will they follow Timothy? Will they discipline themselves and give themselves to constant nourishment on Scripture and sound doctrine? Well, the test is not only for Ephesus, it's for every church. Knowing this truth, how will we respond? And... The additional truth about this is 
It's not a, a private decision that you make. Everyone will see what you decide and how you respond. Father, we thank you for Timothy's faithfulness and for Paul's desire and his love for the church, his love for Ephesus and the, and the people there, the people that belong to that church, his love for Timothy and his confidence in Timothy that he could, in a sense, spray Timothy with a fire hose of all these instructions and trust that Christ Jesus is leading the church, that Timothy is, is, a, is a good man to be there, that if Timothy will put these things in practice, it'll be good for the church. Lord, we, we do read in, later on in Revelation that it, I don't know, maybe Ephesus didn't listen because it said that they had lost their first love. Lord, it's instructive for every church who, who receives such clear instructions to respond in ways in accordance with the instructions given. So, Father, I pray for every church, especially ours, that we walk in accordance with your will as it's clearly revealed. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to have a time of response. We're going to sing, Tell Me the Story of Jesus, right on my heart every word. You probably know it. So I pray that if you need to make any sort of decision during this time, that you would. Otherwise, let's just stand and worship the Lord together as we sing. Webster had a busy week last week. I think it was a all in all a good week, but just continue to pray for her as she fights this cancer battle. Um, also, pray for uh, Clinton Hayden. Um, he's been in the hospital recently um, with some issues, and, and he's now, where is he in rehab? Is he in Lano in rehab? We don't know. Okay. But he is in rehab now. It's a, it's a friend of David Fry's. Um, so pre, please pray for Clinton Hayden. Um, I don't know of any other updates. Do you have any that you'd like to pass along on our prayer list? Anything you'd like prayer for? Yes. Uh, Jared mentioned Rochelle Baptist. Um, how many of you are aware that Rochelle Baptist lost its sanctuary to fire? Was it just the sanctuary? Just the sanctuary was lost to fire, and that was Friday? Yeah. So pray for Rochelle Baptist Church. Anything else? All right, well, let's stand. Together we'll have a time of prayer. We'll say the Great Commission and be dismissed. Father, we are indeed grateful uh, to be your children, uh, to be known by you, to be loved by you, to be called your children, uh, to be uh, filled with the Spirit, uh, to have the riches of what are ours in Christ help us to uh, plumb the depths of those riches. Lord, we lift up Addie Webster to you and, and pray, God, that 
as she continues to fight this battle with cancer, that you would bring uh, more good days than bad days, that she would uh, be comforted by those around her, uh, that those that are supporting her and, and helping her would be great sources of encouragement. And when, when they get tired, when they get weak, when they get upset and frustrated, we pray, God, that they turn to you and find that you are eager uh, to fill their needs, to meet their needs. Pray that you would heal this, this little girl. And, Father, we also pray for Clinton Hayden, that you would work your healing power on his body. Pray that he would be out of rehab soon and home and able to do the things that he wants to do. And we also lift up, Father, our, our brethren, our brothers and sisters in Rochelle. They're recovering from the loss of their sanctuary. Pray, God, that um, they would be able to rebuild quickly. Pray that it wouldn't be a, a big disruption to them, but it would be something that would, in fact, unite them. What um, the enemy might have meant for evil, you certainly, God, can always mean it for good. So we pray that you do. Uh, we pray your richest blessings uh, on our church as we go from here, Lord, that we would be sure to uh, live out, to work out what you have worked in us uh, for your glory. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Let's say the Great Commission together. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 